This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas and welcome to our podcast. We're joined this week by our Africa and LNG editor Ed Reed and our digital journalist Hamish Penman and we'll enter another week of me talking about my World Cup sweeper I think. Uh, still got Argentina uh, and Ghana actually, Cameroon as we record still in with a, a slim hope I think but my countrymen in Wales uh, did not make the cut sadly. Um, but Germany as things stand as we record are still in it and they've been doing work on and off the pitch in Qatar, Ed. Yes, well, although only to an extent. So, so, so to remind you, uh, Europe in an energy crisis, obviously uh, getting access to gas, bit of a challenge uh, given the uh, diminishing flows from Russia. So, uh, a lot of people have been thinking, you know, let's 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 get some LNG into the mix. Um, Germany has has at the moment no uh, LNG import capacity, uh, but they are building. Um, FSIUs and onshore terminals like there's no tomorrow. Um, but and that question of is there no tomorrow is it really, you know, is, is a big question because the European Commission has said uh, long term contracts into Europe shouldn't run past 2030 based on their projections of, uh, of, of, of reducing uh, consumption of, of, of gas in order to tackle, uh, you know, to sort of stay on course for those uh, net zero goals. Germany seems to have, have found a way through this pickle um, by essentially uh, contracting ConocoPhillips, the American uh, in largest independent, um, to act as a sort of an intermediary. So Conoco will take uh, LNG delivered from Qatar um, and sell it in Germany to the locals, which is uh, a, a, an appealing way to get around that sort of problem. Doesn't feel in any way disingenuous, no. <laughs> no, indeed, indeed, it's 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 all totally above board. Um, but this is this is the challenge, right? I mean, and everyone sees it. I think everyone, you know, sort of looks at you know Germany in particular and sees that need for gas. And, you know, that incredibly, should we say ambitious, other words do spring to mind, but ambitious uh, goal of, of, of not sort of getting long term contracts past 2030. And, and obviously, like the sums just don't add up. Um, and but, you know, would it be would it be politically acceptable for a German company like, you know, the newly state-owned Uniper, obviously, which has an interest in in securing gas, to uh, to take a, a long-term LNG contract that would that would seem to contravene that environmental goal? It's 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 a right old pickle, uh, <laughs> but you know, Conoco stepping into the breach. So Conoco's got uh, a stake in these two big new uh, Qatari projects, Northfield South and East, which are starting up in 2026 and 2027 uh, for a sort of a relatively modest uh, sort of two million tons per year of LNG. So it's a it's a start uh, in terms of sort of meeting uh, Germany's future needs. But possibly now that Conoco has kind of taken that step, has, has kind of, you know, made that move, you know, sailed that sort of deal with uh, with Qatar, maybe maybe more can can, can come. And, and obviously now maybe those, those German companies can say, well, look, you know, we obviously believe in net zero and not uh, long-term contracts. But, you know, the Americans, you know how they are with their, their wild ways. Maybe we should give it a go as well. You know, I think this 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 could be the uh, the kind of the opening of the dam. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, uh, I guess a couple of things spring to mind when I, when I'm when I'm hearing you talk about that. I mean, firstly, just how much Qatar has skyrocketed. I, th I think is a fair phrase to use in terms of its importance on 
uh, LNG exports. Uh, and I guess that the second thing, um, going back to the, the World Cup stuff, is just how... Um, I mean, I mean, the, the opening game in, against Japan, they, they were like, they had their mouths covered, human rights records, LGBT records, and all the rest of it. And then you've got the German economy minister with this... LNG deals. Fifteen years is great. Let's let's have twenty years or longer. There's not really much mention of migrant workers or LGBT rights in in that one. I don't think so. Uh, it does seem to be all quite constrained to the football pitch. That kind of uh, outrage. Whereas uh, the pol- political spectrum, it's maybe a different picture altogether. But yeah, I mean, Qatar. What was it? First LNG exports in the nineties, uh, and now basically becoming a superpower on that front well maybe not superpower but yeah 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 so i mean it's it it, it was the uh, the topic supporter for a while it's 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 slipped recently australia the us kind of you know kind of taking sort of top spots but these 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 big new projects um the, those kind of northfield expansion projects they're just it's an incredible amount of work you know by one company right i mean i think that's the thing you know qatar energy is kind of obviously taking kind of pole position it's holding on to a lot of equity in those deals um and it's so it's it's really sort of setting the agenda and i think i guess the the, the kind of the thing about uh qatari lng is that it's sold with uh destination clauses so Conoco, it seems at the moment, um, taking that LNG from Qatar won't be able to say, oh, actually, the Germans don't want to use it. I'm going to send it somewhere else. Whereas uh, US supply, so obviously the US is another big exporter, um, another big, uh, more, more more sort of volumes coming from the US sort of uh, every day, it feels like. Um, US exports can go essentially wherever wherever they they allow. Um, so that gives that gives the intermediary a lot more control over over where to send them, and, and so I suppose that that obviously makes those US exports a lot more attractive. But it's the sheer quantity of of, of Qatari exports that, that really makes it notable. And obviously, as you say, right? I mean that that uh, the that that amount of cash gives the Qatari government a lot of leeway in terms of sort of flexing its muscle, right? I mean, I think, you know, people have been talking about, uh, you know, discontent with the Qatari regime, but um, given this, you know, sort of, you know, that 70 odd million tonnes of LNG capacity that's got at the moment rising to something like 120, mid-120s, you know, within sort of 10 years, it's a really significant player and it's, you know, a really important geopolitical player. So last week signed a big deal with the Chinese agreeing to export LNG into past 2050, uh, you know, which kind of gives you a real sense of the sort of longevity of, of that sort of uh, LNG planning. But also, you know, the US has got a big military base in Qatar. We, You know, the UK, we've got historic, you know, military links to Qatar. Um, Qatar is now, you know, they had a falling out with their neighbours, Saudi. They essentially, you know, kind of cut off all transportation between the UAE, Qatar and Saudi. With Qatar, you know, really being on the outside. That has now been, uh, now seems to have been, you know, sort of all reconciled. You know, they're back on board. So... It's you know it's true that that amount of cash, that amount of uh, of, of energy security, shall we say, gives you a lot of a uh, lot, lot of political clout. Yeah, I mean they seem to be uh, have been extremely smart, I guess, in terms of how they use they've used this gas wealth in terms of their 
they're international profile. You know, uh, they've got the money. They seem shrewd enough. You'd think to be able to deal with issues like, I don't know, protecting uh, migrant workers and uh, expecting a massive PR fire from the World Cup. But there we are. Uh, they certainly had the money to sort both those issues out. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I think, you know, in hindsight, you know, how much did it benefit Qatar to uh, put on the World Cup? Obviously, they've come in for a lot of a lot of grief on the sort of the human rights front. Um, but equally, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but it, it, that that kind of criticism seems to be sort of dying down a bit as people get into the football. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the sort of you know, sort of you know, kind of moving into like the sort of the second week. You know, people are like, yeah, just you know, here to watch the football. Um, and I suppose the other thing is, you know, the within the Middle East, within you know other sort of parts of the world, Africa, you know, parts of Asia, you know, there has been less. Uh, criticism around around those, those that 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 sort of migrant labour workforce, isn't there? And I think you know. So there's been a lot of criticism from Europe, you know, from from North America. But will it stick? You know, will people looking back remember? I don't know. I think the legacy of this World Cup will be a bunch of uh, deaths. Yes, but yeah. On that point, just because I know more about football than I do about LNG. Um, but I was, it was a good piece from John, Jonathan Wilson recently um, in Unheard or something. But it, it, it was kind of pointed to the way that World Cups have always been a, a good use of soft power for, for, for countries. I mean, in 1978, Argentina hosted the World Cup when they were a dictatorship. And then more recently, Russia hosted it in 2018. And look look how that's gone. So yeah, these sporting events are quite a good play for, for countries like Qatar to try and ingratiate themselves i'd say yeah and it's a great way to get like you know sort of high powered sort of political delegations isn't it i mean i think you know obviously there have been a lot of people kind of coming to qatar in the last few months uh olaf schultz the german chancellor has obviously been knocking on the door sort of you know trying to get uh seemingly trying to get more uh, lng contracts but i mean i think you know it's um it's it's a great way to uh to, to, to get, you know, get the the great and the good to kind of come and come and uh, see what's happening isn't it so yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but uh, certainly in terms of uh, LNG uh, plans, uh, Qatar is playing it uh, rather rather well. Okay, great. Well, thanks, thanks Ed. Uh, we'll now turn our gaze away from uh, Doha and Berlin and head towards the North Sea for the big wells to watch in 2023. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice Live app featuring a personalized feed and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. Hamish, uh, you're not Santa Claus, but you do have a list. Um, tell us what's on that list and what we're looking out for. <laughs> Yeah, list of uh, list of projections, predictions for next year. Um, they're already coming uh, thick and fast from our various our various sources. Um, but this was one that stood out as they always seem to do pretty well. Um, and this was the the wells to watch for the for the upcoming year. 
And I'm also going to put in a short plug here for a piece of mine that's coming out in a supplement and online next week, laden with forecasts and nuggets of info on FIDs, production level, windfall tax, that sort of stuff. Um, but ahead of that, yeah, Wood Mackenzie's put together their um, hot tips for, for 2023. So I'll, I'll rattle through them all and give a bit of info on each. So uh, Total Energies gets two out of the five um, with Ben Reuk west of Shetland and Isabella in the Central North Sea. A lot of expectation is being pinned on Ben Rick, um, specifically by Wood Mac. They're pretty optimistic it could be could open up follow-on prospects in the region. Um, estimated mid-case resources of 638 billion cubic feet of gas. And drilling at the field had been scheduled to take place this year, but is now looking like next year. Um, meanwhile, at Isabella, Total Energies is already um, moving on that prospect. Pretal drilling got underway in September. September, I think, um, and it's hoping to firm up volumes, um, results expected mid next year. Uh, one that we have chatted about quite a few times before is um, Shell's Pensacola prospects. That's made the cuts. Um, also a potential play opener in the Zechstein Reef uh, region and could hold resources of 54 million barrels of oil equivalents. Um, and much like uh, Ben Riuk's success, at the prospect would give 15 other licenses targeting the same kind of underexplored region a real boost, um, according to recent predictions by Westwood. Uh, so the other two that make up the five, the famous five, uh, Capricorn's, uh, Capricorn Energy's Cadence Prospect uh, could hold uh, 120 million BOE and Ithaca's K2 field as well, which it's partnered up with on Dana Petroleum. So all in all, uh, Woodmax forecasting 15 exploration wells to be drilled in the UK next year, um, investment allowances kind of pushing along that. They had a nice little phrase of convince producers, uh, producers to spin the bit which I'll definitely be using a lot more in, in the coming weeks. Um, it's also made quite an interesting wildcard tip, and that's for Frontier Wells in the UK, Mid-North Sea um, and West of Shetland to open up new plays, which kind of holds out with their predictions around Ben Riek and, and Pensacola. Um, a Wells uh, slated for 2023, or most Wells to, uh, slated for 2023, sorry, are targeting oil, but the biggest ones are targeting gas, which would hold out with the uh, the UK's need for it, Westminster's energy security drive, um, Interesting, you were saying the need for the the ending of contracts in twenty twenty in twenty thirty, Ed, because uh, gas demand will diminish. Well, Woodmax is kind of predicting that even should it diminish in the UK, that both Cadence and Pensacola can be useful feedstocks for for blue hydrogen developments. Um, they're both in the Southern North Sea, which gives some pretty good proximity to Humber, Teesside, where there are some big projects ongoing there. Um, Equinor and BP have got some going on, so it's kind of an interesting. Or a fortuitous, rather, uh, positioning, um, which should give them a bit more longevity than perhaps should they be located west of Shetland. Um, but yeah, and just another big, um, a notable, notable stat from the Woodmac uh, report was that further appraisal across the North Sea could unlock over five hundred million BOE, according to the Insight reports. Um, so yeah, some good predictions on that. Some big predictions, and we'll wait to see actually how many of them come to come to light. Drilling's been there's been quite a few misses this year. Um, Shell involved in quite a few Edinburgh I think being the most notable of, of them um, so these things are never set in stone um, but should they all come off then there's some pretty uh, pretty large gluts there ready to ready to start pumping yeah I mean that's that's quite an interesting list there um, I, I guess yeah as you said Pensacola we've been watching for some time and Deltic uh, have been quite bullish about not only that but the other one uh, as well uh, Cairn 
well, Capricorn and Delta. I think Delta, because yeah, you mentioned is involved in cadence as well. They've described that as the next Cygnus, or comparable to the next Cygnus, which is you know the one of, if not the largest producing gas field in the UK right now. So you've always got to wonder about people being uh, bullish about these prospects before they come off. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to see and, you know, we'll be paying close attention to them. Uh, I guess what, what takes my eye, what you've, you've mentioned there is a 15 exploration wells coming up. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago we had an all-time low for exploration in the, the UK North Sea. It was like lowest level since the 1960s in, in 2020, wasn't it? It was something like that. Um, so interesting to see that the the, the dread windfall tax is actually um, having an impact to, the, to a, a positive impact in some respects uh, in terms of getting after it. Um, how many how many how many uh, exploration wells did they did they drill this year? I mean, it, is this quite is, a few? Is it is it better or worse? I, know, I suppose also um, people have started complaining about costs, right? Like you know, drilling and and sort of uh, especially sort of offshore, do you think that that is starting to have an impact? I think the rig costs, certainly, from what who I've been speaking to. Yeah, no, well, yeah, I mean, the, the rig costs thing, we've, we've, we've written about that recently, um, particularly for semi-subs and, and jack-up rigs. Um, certainly in the summertime and recently there has been, I think there's been a, a fair uptick in the amount of exploration prospects in the UK and the amount of drilling that's been going on. Quite a few of them haven't come off, uh, as Hamish said. But uh, what we've had some analysis on recently is that we've had, you know, quite a few uh, jack-up and semi-sub rigs heading off to a, a, effectively more promising markets where there is more activity than what we have now in the UK. Uh, and that's partly, as, as you say, uh, to do with cost, um, basically better um, day rates. Um, and as I say, more activity, a, a stronger pipeline of activity, if you like. Um, which is fine, um, but we're also hearing from the analysts is that you know things will pick up quite steadily in the North Sea again in 2024. So, if all of these rigs leave the market, um, how quickly will they be able to return? Come you know, uh, well, 12 months time from now, you know, after 2023. So yeah, there's a bit, of, there's a bit of that going on. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how that will impact things like like cost. But there has been, there have been a few. Uh, exploration wells drilled this year um Hamish you mentioned uh Edinburgh there's been uh, Orlov from Shell which uh there's rumors of a discovery there but they haven't said anything yet um there's been Jaws from Shell hasn't there there's been Denotter from Harbour which uh Diadem Diadem did you say Hamish yeah there's been quite a few um Diadem from is that Capricorn I think that's Capricorn yeah so the fact that we've said all these and there haven't been any discoveries uh, officially. Probably doesn't. Probably tells you everything you need to know about exploration drilling. Um, but the the ones that you listed off in your your list there, uh, Hamish, those are definitely ones that companies have been really quite bullish about and um, made some pretty big, if not promises. Obviously, uh, you know, big headlines with. Um, so fingers crossed it comes off for them. Um, but I guess we'll find out once the appraisal drilling's done, and uh, that'll, that'll all be soon. Well, thank you, Hamish, uh, and we'll next turn our gaze very specifically to a rig full of movie and TV stars in the North Sea. As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed, and I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. 
Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. So, at long last, Amazon has revealed the trailer for its TV show The Rig, uh, a supernatural thriller set on an offshore installation in the North Sea off Scotland. And uh, we've waited for this for a long time, I think it's fair to say, uh, and have lapped it up, uh, as our readers have, of course, lapped it up. And uh, maybe I'll read out some of my favourite bits of reaction in a bit. But um, for me, uh, this looks a bit like The Abyss meets uh, The Shack. Uh, and I just want to re-emphasize, uh, amazingly, that all of the characters' names in this TV show, or nearly all of them, are based on the names of oil platforms in the North Sea. So we've got uh, Game of Thrones alum Ian Glenn, Sir Jorah Mormont himself, he's Magnus Macmillan. Uh, Martin Compston, for those who enjoy Line of Duty, is uh, Fulmer Hamilton. Uh, Owen Teal, also former Game of Thrones, as Lars Hutton. Uh, and it just, it just goes on like that for like a dozen characters. Um, so yeah, the, the trailer they've released this week that has us uh, meeting the crew of the the, kin, the Kinlock Bravo. I thought it used to be called the Kishorn Bravo, but maybe I'm making that up. Uh, there's this opening moment uh, when there, there's no helicopters and, and Ian Glenn says there's work to do until you get a helicopter home or before something comes along. And someone shouts, oh, how come? How much longer, Magnus? <laughs> and that might be the most uh, realistic thing in the entirety of this trailer people are complaining about. But yeah, I mean, we see them uh, drilling which ultimately leads to some kind of eruption and a mysterious fog kind of enveloping the platform and they're cut off from the outside world and people start going insane and what have you. Um, and someone says, you know, if we keep punching holes in the earth, eventually it's going to punch back, <laughs> um, which I guess suggests perhaps um, an environmental allegory for this show, uh, which perhaps seems the obvious route. I think nature is mentioned or referred to two or three times here. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I've got some thoughts about this. Uh, what did you guys make on your first viewing of uh, of this uh, this trailer, this tease? I mean, my, I, I, felt, I felt it was quite entertaining, although I, I felt maybe the special effects were slightly insubstantial. I mean, maybe this is, I don't know, I don't know how showbiz works, Alistair. I'm not a, I'm not a movies man. Could have fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe it'll all work out, you know, once it's on the uh small screen right once you mm. know it's kind of all kind of you know sort of segueing into each other but yeah i mean i think you know the the, the cast looked quite fun I, I spent a lot of time shouting oh it's that guy it's that guy from that other thing and it's that <laughs> guy because uh, it turns out i'm not very good at names um but yeah no i mean i think you know like it looked good it looked fun um as you, you know as we've mentioned before i mean as and as you sort of alluded to i think you know there's um it's one of those things, isn't it, that really reflects uh, how uh, society feels about uh, oil and gas at the moment. That we're like, oh, it's it's a, it's a horror series, and uh, you're basically getting punched in the face by nature. Whereas, you know, as 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 noted, the rig in uh, Saudi Arabia is the uh, that sort of fancy new theme park that they're going to refashion an, an old, old platform, um, and it's going to be sort of jet skis and uh, slides and uh, 
uh, you know, volleyball. What about you, Hamish? What do you make of that? I think I'd in my head I'd set myself up for something completely different. I, when this kind of the the idea was pitched and and the uh, kind of um, information on it became divulged, I was expecting kind of psychological thriller, something akin to you know the light uh, the lighthouse that came out a couple of years ago with Willem Dafoe, kind of a thing getting te- things getting tense, people becoming a bit. A bit unhinged, but it looks far more explosions and. Um, is that the one where Robert Pattinson has sex with a dolphin? Not a dolphin. It was like a mermaid, but there was like a realistic mermaid, and it was terrifying. And then Willem Dafoe is just absolutely off his nut. Yeah, I mean Willem Dafoe looks quite looks quite chaotic anyway. He's got quite wild eyes, so he was almost perfect for it. Maybe if there's a second series of The Rig, then they should um, should tap on Willem Dafoe's door. But yeah, I, I think the. Um, the trailer was just far more explosions. Kind of, it looked like Rambo offshore rather than um, <laughs> oh, rather than the uh, the kind of creepy, disturbing, disturbing uh, thing I was expecting. But I've seen plenty of films that had very good trailers and were dreadful. And by the same metric, I've seen plenty of films that had dreadful trailers and were brilliant. So I'm not going to make any assumptions before January sixth, when I will sit down and watch it on Amazon Prime. And there's a nice little plug from me. Good man. Yeah, January 6th. Yeah, that, that, that's a diplomatic tone for my colleagues there. Um, Amazon told the House of Commons Committee this March that this show is one of the biggest investments I've ever made. And, and I wish, without wishing to sound unkind or unfair, yeah, I, I don't think the quality of the CGI necessarily uh, supports that. Now, apparently it, it, it created hundreds of jobs in Edinburgh where it was shot, which is, which is great. But yeah, I was quite conscious of that green screen stuff on, on the trailer. I mean, the, the sets themselves... They look pretty cool. Um, furnished, by the way, by some uh, Aberdeen companies who've been involved in. We've reported on this before. There's been uh, North Sea Core, a geological company, which has supplied some materials, as has uh, HRH Geology. Um, I don't know what these are. They said uh, well site logs, software printouts, drill cuttings, something called uh, geokit equipment to analyze stuff in petri dishes and things of that ilk. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't know. I mean, let's just see how it goes. Uh, psychological trauma, I got a bit of that. Uh, Martin Comston looks like he's in a bit of a, a perilous position on a crane. Uh, I do hope he doesn't tap out. He was in the submarine drama for the BBC. I don't know if it was last year, but he basically, without wishing to spoil anything, he, he was not in that show for nearly as long as he was billed to be, um, I would say. So hopefully we don't have the same situation uh, with this. Um, and yeah, no, I, I need to read out some of the... Um, I mean... Our readers, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, they've, they've certainly been interested in it. Um, you know, Neabosiet in sight, obviously, being some of the easy um, things to point out. Um, some have been quite cruel about it. Uh, some have just had a bit of fun with it. Um, one guy, um, a deck foreman, said, that's not authentic enough. There wasn't a single set of turkey teeth or a protein shaker in sight. <laughs> nobody mentioned the price of a new Rolex and nobody farted. So he feels it's not a realistic depiction of life offshore. Um, but we'll see. I mean, quite a... I, we, had, we have had, of course, people like... Um, I don't know, when they released the first images of this, we had uh, a PPE specialist get in touch um, with us. We did a little fun article about uh, how basically what Martin Comston's wearing in those pictures is, is not suitable safety gear for life offshore. He'd be up for a disciplinary in that get up and what have you. But it does look like, um, based on the trailer, that they perhaps have 
more uh, uh, more more pressing concerns than than disciplinaries from the the OIM or HSE or whoever else. Um, but yes, no, we will we will look forward to that with great interest on on January sixth. We'll see uh, we'll see what more we might do with it um, around then. But um, for now, that is it. I think for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you to Ed and to Hamish for joining me. I've been Alistair Thomas, and thanks for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.